Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Yes, please join me next Sunday afternoon while we destroy the Fellowship Hall floor. Been looking forward to this day for a long time. I'm so excited. Um, so yeah, and then tonight, join us and we're gonna we're gonna sing hymns, right? First service in the back. One of the guys are next month. Are we doing hers? It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I was just passing along. So, hey, uh, we're going to invite the ushers to come forward and dismiss uh, middle school, high school out to Fellowship Hall. Hey, could be one of your last Sundays on that floor. Enjoy it. Take a piece home with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you need an outline or a Bible, do you might want a Bible this morning because we're going to do a little exercise that I think every Christian should have to do. There's a commercial. Uh, and we're going to jump into that in a few minutes. So get one of the ushers' attention. Well, this is kind of fun. Our ushers happen to be married. Couples serving together. How fun is that? Uh, get a pen to write down. We're starting a new series this morning. And I've been waiting for this. I've been getting excited. Um, first service survived. All of my bouncing around and excitement and whatnot. We had a great old time. Uh, but, you know, we're in a time where, uh, you know, thing, things are, we're kind of not getting along, like politically. You know, there's two sides and they're mad about everything all the time. And we don't talk politics here, right? But I've kind of wondered if um, part of the problem is that we, we've started to lose kind of our identity of who we are as a country. And um, we've let other things become important, and so we fight about those things. And, and now I'm done with politics, right? That was too much time for me, really. Uh, I want to make sure that that concept, forgetting who we are, doesn't happen in the church. There's some foundational things of, of who we are, and I think it's important for us as churches to talk about current issue in culture and, and think how do we make decisions and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, we have to regularly revisit, redefine, explain, explore what are the foundational building blocks of who we are. Like at the very bottom, all of our beliefs are built on a few uh, basic truths that are non-negotiable. And um, that's what we need to really spend our time on. You know, when things, when things get ugly or something goes wrong, somebody collapses, right? You're in public and they're, they're, nobody knows what to do. Everybody is like, is there a doctor in the house? Right? Why? Because we want to get back to health. Somebody who actually knows what's going on, we want them to take control and solve, fix, give directions to where maybe we can bring this person back to health. We can solve what's going on, right? Uh, I think we need to do that in the church too. We got to come find somebody who really knows what's going on and have them take over, give some direction, give some control, and put us right back on the right path, right? And based on those two like concepts and merging of all that, we've decided to call our series, Is There a Doctrine in the House? <laughs> to get us back. Because I can't do anything in full seriousness because the Lord has blessed me with the spiritual gift of sarcasm. <laughs> and that was actually not sarcastic. Um, 
so we're going to get started, and I want us to have some fun with it. Uh, take notes, follow along. I really want you to get some of these things down because they should be formative for all of your other thoughts. All of your Christianity should be based and formed and twisted and affected by some basic, basic truth, the doctrines, the theology, the, uh, as we say in our title of Rock Bible Church, we say Christ-centered and biblically based, right? I would have liked to call it doctrinally sound, but man, people would have had trouble. What? What do you mean? What is that? Now you're having a discussion rather. Is it biblically based? Oh, I, I know what that means. Now I can move on to compelling casual community, right? Uh, so that's what we're doing. And we're going to get started this morning with the very first one. And it's totally on purpose. And I'll get to that in just a second with the exercise every Christian should do after we pray. Ah, love it that we're trained. Lord, thanks for this morning and thanks for your word, our ability to worship, and thank you that in so many ways, the only reason that we are here is because of all of these foundational truths. All of these things that you have decided are primary. Lord, we get stuck on secondary. Help us to know that all of what we're to understand, experience, enjoy, be blessed by, fear, they're all defined by you. And so, Lord, in our next few minutes, I, I pray you just, you take away the rest of our week, the things that we normally work on, think about, pressured by, distracted, uh, just remove those things and let us spend the next few moments uh, in your word about you. Teach us what you would have us to understand this morning, that we might be more related to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're, uh, we're going to get into these doctrines and we're going to have some fun with it. Uh, it's going to be a while. Buckle down. Because it'll be 2020 long before we're done. Okay. Right around Christmas, we're going to get into the doctrine of Jesus for reasons that should be obvious, Christmas, right? Uh, but this morning, I want us to get, uh, get going because uh, there's something that all, all Christians, I think, should do. Well, all people, really, because I'm, I'm getting really tired of pe people coming to me and they, they have this idea about God or a question about the church or tell me something about the Bible and I say, well, gee, where does it say that? Oh, I don't know. Well, have you read the Bible? Well, not really, but I was told, what, why, what? No, have you read the Bible? Well, no, but somebody said, no, have you read the Bible? Well, I always thought, okay, that's great. But when are you going to read the Bible? Well, I would, but I don't know where to start. Now, I know some of you, you've heard it, and some of us don't want to admit you've thought it for yourself. Yes, I want to read the Bible. It's confusing, whatever. but I don't know where to start. Okay, here's a concept. When people write books, they write it with an assumption that you're going to start where? 
No, really? I, I want you to see that half of what we're going to do over the next several months is going to be so simple that you're going to say, come on, Scott, I already knew. I've heard that before. Yet at the same time, I want you to be able to say, and I've yet to think about it that way. Or I'm just now realizing that that ties to this. So there's some pieces of what we're doing. I want to be so simple that they feel like, well, you should start this story on page one, word one. How about that? I had somebody tell me one time, you know, you know the, the trick to reading a book is you go to the back and you read the summary. Then you start the book. I was like, no, that's like watching all the previews before you go to the movie. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're going to show me all the best parts. And then when I get to those parts in the actual movie, when I'm watching it with my popcorn and my soda, it's ruined. I know the next line. Even worse, I, told, I heard somebody tell me one time, uh, no, you always read the last chapter first. All right, you want to be one of the most crazy Christians on the planet, like out there? Read Revelation first. I will probably never get you back. So here's the exercise I think every person should have to do. Open the book, page one. And I don't mean the abbreviation section or the preface or any of the table. No, no, no. Genesis, which, by the way, means what? Begin. Oh, there you go, the Genesis of something, right? Uh, chapter one, verse one. And I want you to see, because our next several weeks and probably most of our weeks are gonna tie back to this in some way or another. And I really want you to love that God started with the most important things on purpose. Because you know, an author starts his book with the thing that he thinks he should start with because it's the most important for starting. In Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says this, before they put it up there, Without putting it, okay, now you get a glimpse of it, but you probably knew what it was already, right? In the beginning. All right, see, we don't even need to put it up there, right? No, we do, because there's probably like three people or something, or they can't remember the order or whatever. So there we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Pretty much all of theology is summed up right there. Congratulations, you have it. Series is over. Let's pray. You can go to lunch. <laughs> now, I want to prove that to you over the next six months or so. But I'm going to start today. In the beginning is not actually how the book starts. That's translation into English from Hebrew. In Hebrew, does not say in the beginning. It's close. The root word of begin is there. But it actually starts a little differently. We'll get into that later. Probably not for another three weeks. Uh, because I'm going to spend today and the next two weeks talking about something else. Because right after the comma, what do we have? Here, we were been at church and we said the word God. That's good. You've checked the box. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I want to thank publicly, out loud, in front of you, clearly, Laren Heath. Yeah, some of you 
know that him and like, oh yeah, you feel warm just that I said his name, right? Some of you had no idea who he is. He was a former senior pastor at Valley Community Church and one of the first guys that I worked for in the ministry as a pastor for a while. And we used to have these discussions. And I loved Laren because Laren had this innate ability and it was like an art form to tell me that I was wrong without telling me you're wrong. <laughs> he had the ability, he was like, Oh, that's, that's pretty good, yes, and I've thought that too before. Uh, but what about this, right? He had this ability to like, kind of just like, you know, over here. Uh, he did that with me a long, long time ago. We were talking about the Bible one time, uh, and he said, you know, what's, I, I want, I'm curious, Scott, what, what do you think the Bible is about? I said, well, I've, I feel like it's a story of us and God. He said, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. And I've, I've thought that too. But I've found that life goes better. Things work out. And it's more accurate to say the Bible is about God. And I raged against that. How could you say that? Humankind's throughout the Bible. In fact, in the beginning, God created heaven, right? And who's the first, what's the first, like one of the first things he does? Adam and Eve. And then every book from there on, there's humans. And it's got to be about us and God. And he's like, well, I can see where you would get that, right? Didn't say I was wrong. But, and they started showing me things. Here's one of the things I want to show you this morning. Are we mentioned in verse one? Ooh, that hurts a little. What's the subject of this sentence? God. The book's about God. The story starts with God. He's the main character. And probably one of the deepest, darkest, most difficult pieces of your relationship with the Lord and your theology and your understanding of doctrine is going to have to be you doing battle with the idea that life never has centered on you or any human. Now, for some of you, that's like, well, yeah, I've heard that. I knew that. I've always, always thought that. Hey, young adult Scott didn't think that. world revolved around me, right? Red-blooded, competitive, white, whatever. Type A, driven, sports, half-wit, all those things. To realize that, wait, there's something bigger than me, more than me, better than me, not affected by me, gave me pause. You know, before we can get to the beginning, before we can get to the verb in the sentence, ooh, there's two in different forms, the main one being created, before we can get to created, before we can get to heaven, before we can get to earth, we got to start with God. That's where it starts. Oh, and by the way, where are we ending? Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end? We're going to end with him too. But I also want you to see, that's where we're beginning. But the rest of the sentence, we get doctrine of creation, we got doctrine of heaven, doctrine of earth, and doctrine of the beginning. Pretty much all of our truths about God are going to fall into one of those categories. That's why I make the argument all of theology can really kind of stem back to this verse. How brilliant of him to start the book this way. 
Amen? Let's jump in. I want us to see, um, I want us to see the beginning of, of who God is himself. Hence the title at the top of your outline. We got the verses and the, you know, the dorky pastor series name. You know, is there a doctrine in the house? But the title is the most important thing outside of the passages, right? Passages is the most important. That's why I try to make those big on anything we put out. Because that's really what's driving what we're doing. And in Psalm 139, you get to see a massive artistic picture of even more played out doctrine than in this, this one Genesis verse. And so I'm going to fly through it. I know some of you are in the, in the experience with me where I go through a passage and I keep stopping and pausing and doing commentary. And can't we just get through the passage? Well, we're going to kind of do that today. We're going to fly through 139 because we're in one of the top Sundays of fill-ins ever in our church. Wait, there's not three. Sometimes we do four. Seven? Oh, man. Seven's a perfect number. Right? Anyways, uh, Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me. Does God do things? Imply, if he searches, then he does at least something, right? And known me, does he know something? You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. That speaks to capability. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Breadth of knowledge there. Uh, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in and behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful. Is that good or bad? Ooh, where does good come from? Right. Uh, for me, it is high. I cannot attain it. Ooh, doctrine of man. You are limited. All right. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Can you hide from God? Not if he's everywhere. Doctrine of omnipresence. Um, uh, verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Ooh, fun with this one. Where's Sheol? Grave or H-E double hockey sticks, right? If God's in hell also, would that your change your view of what the hell existence is or how it's defined? If hell is not the absence of God because he's there, how do you look at it differently? Very important because very little is said on hell or evil throughout the whole of the Bible. Man, we have some developed thoughts on it because people love it. Makes for a great movie. Songs and books and the whole thing. When you go actually find verses that talk about hell, Satan, demons, they're pretty slim. Why? Because the book's not about them. It's about... All right, we're learning. Uh, if I take the wings of the morning, verse 9, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. I was telling first service, I, I really kind of think that might be 
one of my favorite artistic lines in this whole psalm right here. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Oh, is he good? Is he good? Amen. Uh, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. Watch this. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Do we have predestination there or determination? Big fancy theology words, right? Now watch this. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Did we just have choice right there? We just made a choice about the thoughts. We called them, yeah, Schmiegel, right? My precious, right? Did they, you had, you'd have to make a decision right there, right? How cool is that? We got predestination and free will right next to each other. Not, not sure you saw that before. How vast is the sum of them? If I would count them, they are more than the sand, these precious thoughts. I awake and I am still with you. I'm not just dreaming. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Does evil exist? Do bad things happen? Absolutely. Do I not hate, verse 21, those who hate you, O oh Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Are there two sides? Do you get to pick a, choice, pick a side? Yeah. Then maybe one of the most famous from 139 that we would remember. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way, what? Oh, that's implying a concept. Everlasting would lead us to the concept of Eternity. Psalm 139 is a great poem. Artistic, descriptive, beautiful in so many ways. And yet, knowledge and factual base-wise, absolutely brilliant at the same time. So is it art or is it doctrine? It's both. Amen? It's, it's why... Um, it's why we go through this passage today and I want you to be able to see that in Psalm 139, we have so many different descriptions of different doctrine, different truths that are foundational. They are non-negotiable. This is what God has said will be so that we could say with all conviction, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? By the way, it's also true of all the other passages. 
that in some way, every passage we get from what might be the oldest written book of Job to maybe the newest, you will find foundational piece of truths that tell us about you, eh, maybe not so much, but definitely him. Because the book is about him. And one of the greatest questions you can ask when you're reading scripture is, what does it say about God? I want to take you through that experience. I want to take you through that exercise. And are you in the story? Absolutely. But you're a bit player. You're also rant. You got a participation award. You didn't even place. You were posterized. You know what posterized is? Come on, some more of my sports guys. No? Larry knows. Posterized is when a sport, let's say like the NBA, National Basketball Association, is trying to promote their product, right? And they come see a game and they make posters. Yeah? You've, you know what a poster is, right? Okay. Uh, and they've got somebody coming down the lane and they're dunking some athlete. And of course, you can see the basketball and you can see the number and the name of their team and their face and the whole thing. They're about to dunk and here's the rim and the whole thing. And right underneath the guy is some poor chap who didn't quite work out his defense properly. And now he's in the poster as being dunked on. He's not the highlight of the poster. He's been posterized. Made the poster, but not in the way you wanted to be in it. Right? That's how I love to recognize who humankind is in the Bible. We've been posterized. We're jacking everything up. We're making mistakes, the whole thing, and we're trying, but who's really winning? Who's it really about? Who are we paying the cost of admission to see? God, how he plays the game. You see, we've got to understand him first. It's why the title this morning is God himself, because long before we get into the story, and you're in the story, we need to understand who he is. And you're going to enter the story uh, quickly as well, because next week we're going to do God and you. This week is God himself. Next week is God and you. And then week three is going to be about God too, but I'll let you wait to find out what that one's about. Uh, before we have uh, the, the, the uh, fill-ins, I, I want just just indulge me. Just look at the fill-ins. They all start with a letter, and if you spell them out, it spells... Perfect, yes. We are looking at God because God is perfect and I need you to see that all of these doctrines fit into this well-shaped picture and all-encompassing phrase that God is perfect. And yet the problem with a short summary like that is you don't quite know what it means until it's explained. God is perfect, great. What does that mean? Well, let me show you in several different ways. That's what we're gonna do over the next six months, folks. When we get to humanity, we're really talking about God. When we get to sin, we're really talking about God. When we talk about salvation, Christology, all these big fancy words with the big old, like, too many syllables, like, I I purposely didn't go to seminary, Scott. Amen. I'm going to explain them. Okay? We're going to make them work. 
So let's get started. Uh, number one starts with uh, verses 8 through 12 about how we're made. And before there were any days, he was putting us together inside the womb. What are the limits to what he can do? Verse 19, he can even wipe out the wicked. He's got control over evil even, which is awesome because then I like if he's actually in Sheol because they can't even hide from him. What it talks about is he's got power unlimited. Folks, if I'm getting a God, I want one with a cape who levitates and has lasers out of his eye. I want a superhero who can do anything needed. I want a God without limits. And I want it to be so drastic and obvious that it forces me to the realization that I do have limits. He doesn't, and I do, and that's how we're different. And can I accomplish things? Yes, but don't get off topic. We got a God that can do absolutely anything, and he wants to prove it. He starts the book by saying, let me disprove science to you. What? Oh, no, we're going to be one of them science-hating churches. No. My bachelor's was in science from a state school, okay, we love science. Why? Because God has created all things. Who created science? It's a tool. It's more of a gift, right? Boromir, Lord of the Rings. The ring is a gift, right? Science is a value. But one of the things that I like thought was so cool, I was like 12 years old when one of my first classes that I actually recognized as science, because it was called just science, right? Whatever. Uh, it said, you know, nothing... You, you can't create anything from nothing. I thought that was so profound. You know, you're 10, 11, whatever. You're like, that actually makes sense. It's when I started to fall in love with science, right? Two plus two equals four. Yeah, I can do that on my fingers. Yeah, that's it. You mean there's more complex thoughts? Like if you have nothing, you can't make anything. Ooh, now you have my attention. Till I got to some form of theology and realized, not true for God. He can disprove science. He's beyond science. He can create something from nothing. That is the extent of his power. In fact, if he wants something, he can think it or just say it, and boom, there it is. And it's not just there, it is. It's good. Did all of my problems just become small? That's kind of weird because they all feel huge. Encompassing. Unsolvable. Oh, really? You mean your fear, your depression, your doubt, your frustration, your anger could be actually lack of faith statements? Oh! I thought it was a personal condition that I'm afflicted with. It is. It's called faith. Weird. Forgot to share that one for service. That's your second service extra. Uh, he's unlimited in his power. Uh, two, anyone want to guess on this one? Starts with E, and it probably has something to do with he exists, because there's a hint. He's ever present, ever present. He's everywhere. 
not just in uh, yesterday or not just in Sheol, but before I was formed, when I was formed, he's going to be there in all the days that haven't been written, and yet on that path everlasting, he's going to be there too. Folks, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little excited about this God that I get to have. He's, he'll always be there, no matter where, no matter when, and he's all capable. I really hope he's good. Because if he's mean, I don't want him to be either of those two. Right? Or, if he's everywhere and he can do all kinds of stuff, but I can't call him, I can't talk to him, I can't interact with him. If he's not reachable, what good is he to me? He's reachable. Right? He says, your thoughts to me are what? Precious, all of them. There's more than the sand. It means he's connected some way. God's reachable for us. We have access to him. I would love if every person I come in contact with at the church or across the coffee table can tell them, look, you can have access to God now, instantaneously. Next week, from now on, after you you have access to God. How great is that? But you're going to have to go back to number two and assume that he exists. You know what I love about the Bible? (laughs) It has messed with you already and you don't even know it. Our whole culture is asking the question, well, does God really exist? Do you know the Bible never asks that question? Your culture is beating you over the head with it all the time. And the Bible says that's the dumbest question ever. Actually, I want to ask you the question, Prove to me he doesn't, because I will start from the beginning assuming he's there. Ooh, even before the beginning. Nice man, first service came up. We took a break after, you know, we, before second service, and they're leaving, and he comes up. Hey, wh- what was he doing before the beginning? I answered the question. Did you know there's an answer to that? We don't know. He didn't tell us. There's your answer. That's pretty fun. So he's power unlimited, ever present, and he's reachable. F, full knowledge. I know I'm stretching to make it work in the perfect acronym or whatever, but it's your fault. You chose to walk in here and you knew what you were getting into probably, right? Full knowledge. What does he know? know how it works? Does he know how it's solved? Does he know how to stop it? Do you know why it's evil or why it's good or what makes it? Does he know how you're going to respond? Does he know your shortcomings? Does he know your strength, your fears? How about everything that is encompassed in what you call heart? Yes. Every, like when he's full knowledge, is anything left out? Okay. All right. Is he starting to look good? What's he? You want to guess on that one? In the path everlasting, I said, that leads to what? He is eternal. He was before all of it. He's got a plan for all of it. And that path is everlasting. 
Eternal is not just implied, folks. It's emphatically stated. Totally makes sense if you think that time is a creation. He would therefore be outside of time. Time didn't exist before him. So there couldn't be a before the beginning, except for that he was before the beginning, but there wasn't time. And then it's like, I'm spinning. I need a sandwich. You can get stuck on some of these things and it's not worth it. These Remember, these are meant to be building blocks. You don't get to argue these. You use these to set up what you build your house on. Right? Full knowledge, eternal. See, completely... Good. Completely good. You know that's redundant in Hebrew? When he made stuff and he liked it and he made it perfect, He said, and he saw what he had made, and he called it good. You know, good has lost its meaning in our culture. It's kind of good, partially good, might be good. No, it's either good or it's not. It's kind of like pregnant. (laughs) You're, You're pregnant or you're not, right? Now I'm starting to buy in. In fact, I'm getting pretty close to asking you, which one of these seven is your favorite? I know I haven't given you the last one, but at the end, it's a trick question because really you shouldn't be able to pick a favorite because they really kind of go all together. You're not meant to view one is true and not the other, the whole thing, because it doesn't make sense because the Bible not just functions from that assumption, it's just reporting the actual news. Hey, that's kind of nice for a change. Can't get that anywhere else. I'm discontinuing all the channels. (laughs) Right? Completely good. This is a rough assumption. Not mean like a partial assumption. I mean it's a difficult assumption for you to buy. Because the ramifications of how it plays out look something like this. Do you have shortcomings. I mentioned that earlier, right? And you guys you guys all bought it. We just kept moving. Like nobody was like, "Hey, I don't have any short." No. We all do. You have strengths too. Are they both good? If God is all powerful and all good and all knowing, why would he make you with shortcomings? You got holes. You're holy. I like to think of God is holy and I am holy. They're just different holies. You'd have to assume that there's something good in that design. If she has withhold, uh, missing things and he's missing things and I'm missing things, then who do we need now? We all come to the table with different strengths but different shortcomings. Then who has to show up at the table All of us. If he's designed us to need each other because he's made none of us perfect in ability, he's kind of made us perfect relationally or interactively or codependently if you want to be negative. And you look at that design where he's trying to get us together and say, oh, that's brilliant. 
he might be smarter than I thought. There might be something to this omniscience thing, right? It's fascinating because the more I've played with it in my mind, all of the things start to fit together and force you to look at life differently. Force you to look at love differently, sacrifice differently, uh, work differently, investment differently, waste, laziness, all concepts start to fit into like, how does this fit into this big picture? And it really kind of brings you to the last one. The last one's on purpose. Is God really in control of all things? From 100% good to all the way to 100% what you think is bad. Well, how could he be in in charge of the things that I think are 100% bad? Maybe your definition of 100% bad is wrong because there's other things going on. You're going to learn some. It's going to benefit 17 other people when you finally learn what you learned because you were holding on to a fallacy and you finally let go of it. It might bring you to a place where you start to buy total sovereignty. He's in control of the good and the bad. We saw that in the passage. I won't reference it right now. But this idea that there's nothing outside of his control. Now it makes sense. Other places in the Bible where he says things like, like, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's not a conditional statement. It's not a deal. It's not, if you, then I will. No, it's a, this is the way it will be. You will jack it up seven ways to Sunday. Wait, is it six ways to Sunday? I don't know. I can't remember. I'm trying to leave the dog out of the bag. Is he really in control? That's a hard one to get to. But the Bible's not asking that. It's telling you, this is how it'll be. Follow the plan or don't. You'll learn eventually. You'll eventually put your shoes on. I was trying to figure out, like, how do I describe this? And I found the goofiest analogy, but it works. There have been times in my life in the past, no longer, but in the past, where due to time constraints, forgetfulness, poor planning, I've needed to change my shoes, and I was at my destination. I'm sitting in the driver's seat, full steering wheel, and I'm trying to untie my shoes and put on a different pair of shoes, but I don't want to open the door Although that would give me more room, people might see that I did not plan ahead. So I'm trying to, the horn's going off, people are looking at me anyways now. I mean, it's just a mess. Realizing it took me so much longer to change my shoes than if I had just got out of the car, put your foot on the bumper, take the one off, tie the other one, the whole thing. If people are looking, who cares? So much more efficient. Or, like most people on the planet, planned ahead, put your shoes on in the bedroom like everybody else (laughs) Make that time. I think that's how our relationship with the Lord works. Total sovereignty. You're going to get the shoes on. Whether you, whether you buy into it or not, 
And you can do it the hard way, honking the horn with the steering wheels in the way, and you get your foot up on the dash. Now you're pulling a muscle, the whole thing, and it can be rough. Or you can just decide when you get to that certain age, it's like, you know what, I'm just going to go with the plan of how this was designed to work and do it that way. See, God's not negotiating his fundamental truths. He is, although, writing a huge book about himself that you might understand. I'm going to give you another little second service extra. I can't believe I forgot this for the first service, but we're going to be using a book. For fun, we're not going to follow it closely at all. We're going to bounce around in this book. It's called Christian uh, Beliefs. It's by a guy named uh, Wayne Gruden. He likes he writes seminary books, big old thick ones, right? This book is going to walk us through a bunch of different doctrines. We'll do more than are just in here. This is like a thin one to help you understand. Um, because I didn't want to pass out this one, Systematic Theology by Wayne Gruden. Other guy wanted to prove to you that he really exists, and he writes thick books. That are painful. This is a, um, a toe breaker. You drop this on your toe, you're in trouble. Uh, he's taken the toe breaker and made it, put it into a toe-friendly book. Okay, you can drop this on your toe. You're fine. We're going to make this available, but not this week and not next week. Because some of you will take it, you'll read ahead, and you'll start to cheat. Okay, and we're going a little bit different order. So in about two weeks, we're going to start making those books available for purchase here. You can go online and order them or whatever. So now you know about them. We good? Toward our whole goal of knowing God himself first. Amen? Lord, thanks. Thanks that there are truths that they're object, objective for us and they're subject to you. Pray, Lord, you'd help us. We have been very well trained by the truths in the doctrine of humanity and the doctrine of sin, a doctrine of evil. And there are some realities in there that try to keep us from the reality of you. I pray, Lord, you'd help us through that. Uh, spur in us new thinking. Help us to let go of fallacies that we've gripped for too long. And Lord, give us the peace, the blessing, the assurance, the confidence that comes from knowing you more and more. May we be reminded that connecting with you is the most important thing. We thank you for this offering that we're receiving. We pray that you'd bless it. For those of us that are believing in you and calling this home, and we pray, Lord, that those who are guests feel no obligation to give. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.